it on, is it? Chapter one. Are we getting that? Are we getting that? Yeah, there, there we are. are. Sorry. Uh, the reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter one, verses three to fourteen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship and daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. morning. Let me add my welcome to Paul. I'm the vicar. That's why I'm wearing a jacket. I've no idea. I think it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Can you hear me? Can you can now? Right, um, it was all going so well, wasn't it? I don't, I, I've not done anything other than, I think, anyway, start again. I'm the vicar, which is why I'm wearing a jacket. Um, I don't know why I said that, but I am the vicar. It's a joy to be with you. We're starting a new teaching series today called Identity. You've got some postcards on your pews, which are there if you want to take them away to invite people you know who might be up for exploring who they are, really are. Um, particularly those who perhaps wouldn't ordinarily call themselves Christians or go anywhere near a church. On Friday evening, we had some special friends come for some dinner, and I was sent out to the supermarket to get the food. And uh, as I was walking around the supermarket, I heard this, what I thought was a mother, 
shouting at a little child, a four-ish-year-old child. And she was saying to this child, who do you think you are? You're such a pain. And I don't know what you would do in that situation, but everything inside of me wanted to do something. Because whatever is going on, I know enough to know that that is really not how you ever parent a child. Uh, but I didn't. I wish I'd had my dog collar on. That might have helped. Uh, I don't wear it very often, so it's unlikely to ever be on at the right time. And uh, I went around the corner, I carried on with my shopping, and then I saw the same child with what actually turned out to be her mother. And I realized that the lady that had shouted the child was the grandma, not the mother. And the mother and the child were crying, and the grandmother had obviously moved on somewhere else in the supermarket, I don't really know. But I felt the Holy Spirit whisper in my ear, this is your moment. So I went up to her, I said, excuse me, you don't know me, but I'm a doctor. <laughs> Which is true. <clears throat> I have an academic doctorate. Absolutely no use if you break your leg, but... And I said, and I work with children. Which is true. <laughs> and I said, uh, what's your name? And she looked at me as if to say, who the heck are you, you freak? <laughs> but then, it's really interesting, and this is how I knew it was God, because at that point I'm thinking, I might have to just slightly go awkward and move on. And she said, uh, why do you ask? And I said, because I think God wants to tell you something tonight. What's your name? And she said, my name is Sarah. Now, I happen to know what Sarah means. Do you know what Sarah means? It means princess. It's a biblical name, and it was given to a princess of the king in the Old Testament times. I said, your name means princess. I was thinking, strike. <laughs> because if she'd said, like, Sophie, I'm like, I have no idea what Sophie means. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. You got me into this, you can get me out of this. I said... You're a daughter of the king. That's who you are. And she started to cry, not bawling. Um, she kept looking over her shoulder. And, but there were tears coming down her face, and she said, no one's ever told me that before. And I turned to the little girl. I said, what's your name? She said, Lucy. <laughs> uh, and we have a Lucia, which is the uh, Italian-French rendering of Lucy, for family reasons. Uh, so I know that Lucy means light, or the way of light, or one who brings light. I said, do you know what your name means? She said, no. I said, it means you bring light into the world. And she just smiled. And I said, I have no idea what's going on. But Lucy, you need to know that you're not a pain. And Sarah, you need to know that you are of infinite worth to God. And then the grandma returned. And the conversation stopped. And I walked away praying, thinking, God, what was going on there? My guess would be that 
Sarah hasn't been brought up by her mother to know who she is. She's not been affirmed for who she is. She's probably had all sorts of words spoken over her. Because if the grandmother thinks she can do that to the granddaughter, then she's almost certainly done it to the daughter. And probably what's happened is that this lovely girl, Sarah, doesn't know how to do that for her daughter because she's never had it done for her. And the truth is this, that all of us have a version of that story. Because none of us, even those of us who had incredible parents, have grown up in a perfect world where the only things ever spoken over us are things that bestow upon us godly identity. Maybe some of us, more than others, have got quite a lot of pain around this. And this teaching series we're starting uh, called Identity is really asking the question, who do you think you are? And asking God to answer the question for us. And to put right the wrong understandings that all of us have to some degree or another. And to get to the place, hopefully a little bit more at least, where we can say, this is who I am. Whether I feel like it or not, actually, but this is who God says I am. And therefore, this is who I am going to become with the help of the Spirit of God and the people of God all around me. Contrast with Matthew chapter 3. This is uh, from the baptism story of Jesus. Hopefully these slides will work. If not, can you just nudge the next one on? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. That happens every time we baptize people. We just can't see it. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Ivana essentially did my sermon for me, just shorter. So take it up with the church wardens later um, if you want your money back. But um, identity, who we are, comes from God. It comes from heaven. It's on his terms. And it's not conditional on what we have or haven't done or how well we have or haven't performed. This happens before Jesus does any of the things that he's called to do as the Messiah. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. You are his son. You are his daughter. And with you, he is well pleased. Why? Because he loves you. Because you're made in his image. And therefore you have inherent worth and value. And it is not derived from anything other than that. I was at a drinks party recently. Some friends around the corner invited us to go and uh, we're all about local community and inevitably, I didn't know many people there, inevitably what happens is, hey, this is Rich, he's a friend of ours. Second question normally along the lines of, so what do you 
do. To which point I rarely say vicar first time round. I'd like to have a conversation go for more than a couple of minutes. Uh, so I say things like, I'm a doctor, um, or a heart surgeon, or a teacher, and then I kind of play on words. And... Fascinating. Our culture is so confused around identity. Fundamentally, it tells us we are something around what we do and a whole load of other things which we'll come to in a moment. But it's confused. It has no reference point back to God anymore. People don't know their names. They don't know why they're called what they're called. My parents called me Richard. I call it myself Rich. So if you call me Richard, you sound like my mother. Uh, and Rich, Richard means ruler. It means brave. And my mum, who has a fledgling faith, said, I, I just had a picture in my head of a lion when I saw you. And all I could think was Richard the Lionheart. And God has spoken again and again and again to me about being a lion who roars for the kingdom of God. Who's brave enough to contend for something more. I know my name. And if those of us who've brought children into the world through a Christian framework, we've prayed about what to call our children. Right? You don't have to give them a biblical name for it to be meaningful. Contrast that with a, a time when I was in Uganda a couple of years ago. I was out there with Tear Fund, and uh, I was uh, walking along, and out of nowhere, this teenage boy put his hand into my hand, because you do that over there, and uh, he said, hey, I'm Samuel. I'm a child of God. I was like, wow, cool. But then I met another friend of Samuel's and another one, and they all gave me their name and then said, and I am a child of God. That's their normal cultural reference point. I know that I'm a child of God. I'm Samuel. I'm a child of God. I'm rich. I'm a child of God. Now, I recognize that would be weird if you went to a drinks party. Hey, I'm rich. I'm a child of God. But actually, that is who you are. Our culture finds all sorts of other ways to help us discern and derive and come to some sense of identity. I am what I do. Performance. You're not what you do. I am what I have. Possessions. I am what I want, pleasure. We live in an increasingly hedonistic culture. I am what I am to others, position. I'm a head teacher. I'm the CEO. Like with all due respect, Jesus is not that impressed with your title. He's interested in your heart. I am what other people think of me popularity, how many likes I've got on Facebook, how many friends follow me on Instagram. And notice that all of those things are based on either the past or the present. They're determined by the postcode lottery of where you grow up, where you live, who you come into a family with, how much money's in the bank account, which school you get to go to, all of those things. They're context dependent. They're they're dependent on what has or, haven't, has or hasn't happened for you growing up. 
And what we do is, uh, because underneath all of our attempts to build a life, there's fear, we, we find value and worth and meaning and security and belonging in some combination of all of that. Unless we get taught to be rooted and established in love, which comes from the Father, by the Spirit, through the, through the Son. And because there's fear, we're, we're so terrified of not being enough without some of those things that we, we buy into that, literally. That's what uh, uh, marketing people do. They work out how to get you to spend money on things you don't need to help you become something you're not. That's what they're doing. They're very good at it. And because of all of that deep fear that only perfect love can cast out, we find ourselves with this need to be tribal, to find a community to belong to that's like us, that will reinforce this. And so we all do it, and teenagers classically are in that stage where, who am I? And so they find a pack, and they become like that, and we end up with little subcultures. And it's not that any of that's ultimately necessarily all bad, but it's not where we start when it comes to this identity question. And here's the problem, of course, with building your life on any of those things. Performance, possessions, pleasure, position, popularity. That at some point, they will go. You can lose your job overnight. You can lose your health like that. Someone will eventually be cooler and more popular than you. Someone will do a better job at some of the stuff that you do than you. Eventually, you know, it's hard to believe. I used to have a six-pack. I've still got one. It's just hidden. You know, someone will have a better body than me, will look cooler than me, will have nicer hair than me, will be more articulate than me, will be more cutting-edge than I ever was. They just get taken away from you. And so here's the deal for those who call, us, call themselves, like we do, disciples of Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of your identity must be knowing and really knowing, like believing it deep within you and living from that place that you are a child of God, period. Thomas Merton says, who am I? I am one loved by Christ. That's it. That's enough. Or is it? Search your hearts. Is it enough? Or are you like me, if you're really honest? Searching for significance and identity and worth and belonging in places other than Christ. Not instead of, but just as well as. The answer, by the way, is yes, you are. <laughs> the homework is to go and work out why and to let God help you deal with that. 
And the reason why it's yes is that all of us have grown up in an imperfect world with imperfect parents and have therefore not had this beautiful gift of an unblemished, God-given identity. It's hard work. But John writes in 1 John chapter 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's it. Joanna read from Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are a masterclass from the Apostle Paul in Christian identity, the theology of Christian identity. It's three chapters that is just packed full of statements about who we are. This is who you are because this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done and therefore this is who you are. And given that this is who you are, this then is how you live. But you don't get to that until chapter 4. Three chapters of gorgeous theology. That section that Joanna read, it's Paul, there's not one comma in that, in the original Greek. He just goes, blur. Do you want it? Do you get it? And the key phrase is this phrase, in Christ. En Christo. Used 150 times, mainly by Paul. And essentially, it captures two theological ideas that I want to really quickly summarize for us this morning to get our heads around this a little bit more. The first is what theologians call incorporation, and the second is adoption. It's uh, by design, by the way, that I'm starting the series today on this, being Adoption Sunday. And essentially, incorporation theology says this, everything that is true about Christ has now become true about you. You have been brought into his body, incorporated, corpe, the body. We are part of him. We're part of the family, that's adoption, but we're part of Christ. We are in Christ, by faith, through the Spirit. God reaches out in the person of Jesus Christ, extends grace into our life and invites us into Christ. He literally incorporates him into the body of Christ. You and I are little Christs. It's true theologically and it's becoming true in reality the longer you and I follow Jesus, the longer we live into that God-bestowed-upon-us-identity. That's the work of sanctification, of transformation, of being made whole into the image and likeness of Christ. But it's credited to us. I said this last week. God looks at us and sees Christ in us. Not a carbon copy, but he sees perfect whole humanity. And he says, that's who you are in Christ. Become that in reality. Live into that identity. You and I are in the process of becoming who we really are in Christ. The real you is hidden underneath the not-so-real you. And the task of discipleship is to take off the old self, which actually is that self that we construct in this imperfect world, deriving identity and value and worth from all those things we've talked about, that non-exhaustive list, and thinking that's going to get us somewhere 
And then at some point in your life, you realize it's not got you where you wanted it to get to, get you to, and actually it doesn't work, and you go through the painful work of taking it all off. Counseling. Prayer ministry. I'm in the process right now. It's painful, but good. And the invitation of the gospel is to be clothed in the new, true, real Rich Johnson or Graham Lucas or whoever. And it's a fascinating journey, and we're going to talk about it more next year, but that's, that's what we're doing. And notice that this identity is rooted not in the past and not in the present, but in the future. It comes from heaven, and it comes actually from a reality that's not yet fully here. And it's gifted to us, it's bestowed upon us by the Father, and we are learning to become who we are in Christ. Alan Mann wrote a brilliant book called A Permanent Becoming. He talks about how the fruit of the Spirit is this journey of becoming who I really am. But incorporation theology says that is who you are. It's not who you might be one day if you just get it all right and you don't have any bad days and you stick at it long enough. No, this is who you are. So go become it. There is no other religion in the world that will offer you that. There is no other worldview that can offer you that. Only Jesus offers that. Unconditionally, it's all his work, the transforming work of the Spirit, which is why I don't think you can do it unless you're a charismatic. Which is why I think you have to engage with the Spirit, however weird that might be and however hard you might find that. The second bit of theology is adoption theology. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, we've been adopted. Let me just find it. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship and daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Like, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, not like, oh, she's all right. Yeah, I did set about redeeming the whole world. I better include you, my kids, made in my image. I know you went her way and you've been a nightmare. Who do you think you are? You're a right pain, you are. No, like, it's the Father's joy and delight to say, come back into this family. Let me adopt you in. Now, there's a whole load of theology here about the Old Testament and about Israel. and We're not going to go there. But, you know, Kath and I have had the privilege of journeying with the Petiphers and the Wests, and it's their pleasure and their will to adopt those kids into their families. And that's the same that God does for all of us. It's been our joy and our pleasure to adopt Tash into our family. She's known as number seven, because someone's already got the title of number six, but she's the seventh Johnson. And it's not an identity she asked for, it's being bestowed upon her, so she's very gracious if she doesn't like it. And uh, she's living with us at the moment, and it's really fun. Because that's what you do. You extend grace into those that God calls you to do that with. And it's wonderful what's happening through Home for Good here. God chose you. He chose you. It's really simple. He chose you because he loves you. 
And he loves you because he made you. And he doesn't make mistakes. So as I said at the very beginning uh, of this little section on Ephesians, there's um, two bits of theology uh, wrapped up in three chapters. By the time you get to the fourth chapter, the imperatives start to come. So we've had the indicative stuff. This is who you are. Ephesians 4 suddenly changes gear. This is now, given who you are, this is what you do. So it's really important you notice that. In fact, if I'd encourage you to spend this week reading Ephesians. Three of the six chapters are on who you are. We always like to get to, what do I do now? This is the bit in the sermon where the vicar gives us some application. Here's what I go and do. Paul says, given who you are, this then is how you respond. Verse 1, Ephesians 4. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, calling is derived from identity. Calling is simply being in the world who we are in Christ. That's it. The specific bits are like, okay, so what exactly do I do and where do I do it and all of that stuff. Really important conversation for another time. But fundamentally, they are just outworkings of that bigger instinct, which is, I am a child of God, entrusted with the kingdom of God, and so here I go into the world to love and serve Jesus, living a life worthy of the calling I have received. Here's an analogy to try and land it. Uh, On uh, Saturday in April in 2001, Kath and I got married. Uh, I became her husband. Was I the perfect, sorted, mature husband that she deserves on that day? Uh, I can guarantee you the answer is no. In fact, I'm still struggling 16 years later because it's a hard calling. But I became her husband. I was given that calling. And marriage includes working out, if you're married, how to be who you are together, right? And you can't do it on your own, by the way. It's really hard. On uh, a Saturday night in December 2006, I became Amelie's father. Was I the sorted, perfect father that she deserves? No. The, the, the thing I've realized, basically, by the time our youngest leaves home, I reckon I'll have nailed the parenting thing. And so I'm like, I'm like putting money in now for their therapy later, right? Basically, that's how it works. My kids are Johnsons. We talk about we are Team Johnson. That's who they are. And sometimes I see them behaving in a particular way, and I'm like, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're Amelie. That means creative. You're Zach. That means the Lord remembers. You're Lucia. That means light. This isn't who you are. Be who you are. Become who you are. My job as an earthly father is to bestow identity and call it out of them and nurture it in them. And sometimes I do a good job and other times I do a really bad job. And that's what the father is trying to do in your life and my life. This is, you are a child of God. 
And in and of yourself, you're not enough. You can't do it on your own. But, but with my spirit in you and with you, you can. And so let's work out how to be father, husband. But first, let's work out how to be child of God. Frederick Buchner puts it like this. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. Turn around and believe that the good news that we are loved is better than we ever dared hope and that to believe in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with that good news is of all glad things in this world, the gladdest thing of all. So who do you think you are? Who are you? You don't answer that question until you first come back to whose you are and allow him to love on you. And you do that by simply resting in the presence of God, dwelling in the Spirit, stopping. Letting him speak. Letting him tell you what's true. Even if you don't feel it or believe it or think it, just daring to have enough faith and that the Spirit might do his work. And it's slow and messy and painful, but it takes longer. The busier we are, the less likely we are to stop. The harder we find it to linger longer in the presence of God, the harder we will find it to become who we really are. So would you stand? And we're going to ask the Spirit to just do that again now. Begin again that process of allowing the love of the Father through the Spirit to shape us and define us. Set us free from all the false identities that we buy into. That we become increasingly skilled at curating because that's how the world around us works. It's interesting to me that in the early church, there was a tradition, and it's actually, you see it in the Gospels, Jesus started it, of renaming people. You're Paul. Not Saul anymore, you're Paul. And sometimes what God does is he renames us. And we don't necessarily go as far as changing our birth certificate, although I wonder whether some of us perhaps should. So I just want to ask you, if you're up for this, just to close your eyes and open your hands. And ask the Spirit of God, just in the quiet of your heart, to begin to minister to you. And to choose just to Try and silence the voices in your head and the fears in your heart and all of the thoughts and just listen for the voice of the Father. There's a rabbi, Rabbi Zuzia, who famously says, in the coming world they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zuzia? The Spirit, more than anything, 
is desperate to help us become who we really are. So if you're up for that, and by the way, it won't get resolved between now and lunch, but if you're up for continuing that journey, restarting that journey, or beginning it for the very first time, does mean laying down your life, then just say, come Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Lord, would you pour out your spirit in power now and set us free? As I prayed this morning, I was out walking the dog, I prayed for us, and I saw a picture of the Lord just coming around the room at this point, just peeling sticky labels off us where we've been labeled. This is who I am, and he was just taking labels off you, off me. No, no, no. The only label is the one in your heart that says child of God. That's the only one that defines you. Some of us need to repent of the fact that we've put labels on ourselves to become something more in the eyes of those around us, not trusted in our God-given identity being enough. Others need to forgive those who put destructive labels on us and ask God to set us free from the lies that we've believed about who we are. Thank you, Jesus. here this morning and you know that this is an area that God really wants to work in you on in the coming weeks and months particularly I mean in a sense it's all of us but you'll know if today you've been thinking yes I've needed to hear this yes I want that even if actually the implications for you will be hard I want to invite you now just to come and find some space in the middle aisle or up at the front so that we can pray with you so if you're on the prayer team if you could come out be ready. That would be great. Just come, if that's you. Come and find a space. You can go on courses, you can read books, you can listen to sermons, you can chat to your friends forever, but it doesn't do the work that the Spirit has to do if you're to become truly you. It's the only way. So if that's you, just come and find a space. Just find a space. Close your eyes again, open your hands, ask the Spirit to come and our team will come and pray for you.
I was um, praying this morning, asking God to give me some specific words of knowledge for some of us, and um, I felt him give me two things that might be you. And there's no shame in either of these, because these are words that were spoken over you that you've believed as a kid, probably, and therefore never, don't even realize you've believed them. But the first is that you are never going to amount to much. God spoke to me, I think, and said that some of you had that spoken over you. You're never going to amount to much. If that's true for you, then God wants to break that lie over you right now. And the great thing about the Spirit is he can do it instantly. So if that's you, it'll take some guts, and you may want to wait till we've formally finished, but we'd love to pray for you. The second phrase that I think God just showed me was um, the phrase, who would want you? Who would want you? And my guess is you won't even realize that until now that you ever had that spoken over you. But if, if you know right in your gut right now that that's been spoken over you and that your sense of self-worth and esteem is a challenge for you because of that, then... Then, again, we want to pray for you. But, but any word that's been spoken over you, let's pray for that. So Chris is going to come and play quietly. We're going to pray for these folk. You may want to sit and rest. You may want to come to the front once he does that. I'm going to finish in a moment with a prayer. There's tea and coffee. There's children to collect. What I'd say to you is please don't Wait for another opportunity. If you know this is heart surgery that you need, let's, let's do it now, all right? Lord, thank you that you call us brothers and sisters. We choose again to trust in who you say we are. No longer slaves, but children of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, infinitely loved by the Father, Help us as a church to do the work together of making that our true identity. Give us courage to open up to you, your Holy Spirit. And as we go from here, may we be people who help people find out who they are. Change the conversation in people's heads. Change the tape. Rename. We pray these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen.